Let's face it, living takes guts, and living a full life takes a lot of guts. Igniting Courage Podcast is the place you can come to get a blast of courage from real people who are clawing their way through life just like you are. We're going to talk about big courage and also little daily courage. You'll hear people's opinions on how to build courage and how to summon it when you would rather join the circus and never be heard from again. So welcome. I'm glad you had the guts to show up for this conversation. Hey there, and welcome to Igniting Courage Podcast, episode 16. This is my interview with Dr. Scott Massey. He is an award-winning educator and researcher at the university level, also an accomplished author with a national reputation in his field uh, for publishing research and presenting it both domestically and internationally. He's also a recovering alcoholic. I met Scott through a friend of mine and knew as soon as I heard his story that he'd be a great interviewee for the podcast because anytime you're recovering from alcoholism or frankly anything that brings shame and unhealthiness to your life, it takes a ton of courage to both recover, to take on that fight, but also to stick with it. And the last 16 years of sobriety, Scott has had a lot of lessons on perseverance, and courage in the face of difficulty. He's also done an astounding amount of stuff with his life since then. So I'm so excited for you to meet Scott and learn about the courage that he has exhibited in order to hopefully bring some of that courage into your own life. Enjoy. Dr. Scott Massey, thank you so much for joining the podcast. My pleasure, Anne. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I wish it was warmer, but otherwise... Can't, can't complain. Yeah, and you're headed to Key West next week, so I'm not even going to take your complaints. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. So let's dive right in here. What does courage mean to you, just in general? And I, courage to me means that despite fear, I mean, we all have fears all the time about doing something different, doing something that you're not comfortable with, whatever it might be. It's the ability to push through those fears. And people have courage in various ways. I'm sure we'll talk about that today a little bit. But, you know, I've had, I've had to have courage in facing my fears and insecurities. And, and then despite that, listening to my kind of my inner, my inner voice, I guess it would be. It might be conscience, whatever it might be. But that to me is what courage is, is just pushing through fears and basically just not listening to them. Yeah. So where has fear, or not fear, where has courage, along with fear, obviously, played a big role in your life? Well, I, I experienced some addiction problems through, actually, from age 12 until age 42. And during that time, you know, I had an alcohol, uh, now it's called alcohol use, I think, alcohol addiction. And it really started to impact my life, especially later on, where I was starting to get some serious issues with it. And I knew that I needed to change, but I just didn't have the, um, the courage, I guess, to do that. Until a specific day in January of 2002, I finally just, there was just kind of an inner voice that told me this is not the person that I want to be. And I had to make that decision to give up a lot, which, you know, I went into recovery and I was able to get through the process, but you know, that took... That took courage for me, you know, to just to admit that, you know, it's either do that or possibly risk loss of life. Well, and it's a 30-year habit you have to now 
habit at the very least and addiction at the very worst that you now have to have to have the guts to face up to and give up essentially. Yes. Anybody that has addiction, they have to realize that they have to give it up. And I think, um, frankly, I love to drink. And um, I think that's something I recognize and it's something that I know that I can't ever go back to it because I liked to drink. Mm -hmm. So then you had the courage to go into recovery. How was that process? Um, raw. I mean, I when I went into recovery, I mean, basically I, I, I really wasn't sober, per se, for many years. And what comes with that is all those emotions that you suppress with alcohol. And as it turns out, there was a lot of, a lot of emotional issues that I've been dealing with ever since I was actually quite a bit younger that had been, you know, had been numbed by alcohol. And after I became sober and when I was in inpatient rehab, for example, all those emotions just came and exploded. And I just, um, I had, um, I had such a, a sense of anxiety and fear because I just hadn't dealt with it. And, but I'll say that going in there where there's a controlled environment was relatively easy compared to what I was facing afterwards. Because um, I, you have to reframe yourself when, when you go through addiction, um, when you go through recovery. You have to reframe who you are. So I think the decision to go into, you know, in, in the treatment, you, you know that you're not the person that you want to be with that. But then you, you have to kind of realize that you have to kind of emerge as a, newer, as, a, as a different person, which is, you know, accepting that person because you're not going to be the same person on the other side. And so, you know, I had to admit that, and I, I went through quite a bit of therapy during the first few months, but I can tell you that staying in recovery for a lifetime means a daily decision. It means a daily telling yourself that this is something you have to do. And, and listening to this story, all of a sudden I'm like, well, it would make perfect sense that you'd go back to drinking, you know? I mean, you understand why people come out of recovery because it's a daily thing. What gave you that daily courage? Well, I, going back to the day that I went into recovery, the day that I went into, went into treatment, I had kind of a, and I don't want to be too metaphysical, but it, I had an experience where I had an inner voice whisper to me, and the voice said, stop drinking or die. And it was the morning that I, that morning that I stopped. And, and mm. that, that voice, I never forgot it. And it's almost like if I remember that voice in that moment, then just the absolute jarring and, and emotional jarring experience that was just tells me there's no drink that's worth ever going back. And... I mean, I don't know what that was, but it certainly was a life-changing event for me. But, but yes, still, I mean, there's been hundreds of times that I've been tempted. I mean, every day you're tempted. But there has to be an inner strength that you have to have to tell yourself that drinking is not worth it. And I'll tell you that I'm a very different person now than I was then in that I'm more confident, I believe in who I am, where I don't think that I nearly did when I was drinking. When it sounded like you almost needed that external voice, quote unquote, that was in your head to say, you got to stop this because you weren't going to say it to yourself. No. 
And I, I tried before. I, I, I tried a few times, and I got about three or four days, and I was like, ah, I can't do this. And, and I actually went through withdrawal symptoms the day that I stopped. I mean, it only took until midday. I mean, so it was bad. Yeah, that, that just kind of like was something that I needed to just push me to get over that barrier. And then after that, I had to rely on my own inner resilience to persist. And you said that you said to yourself, I'm not who I want to be. Um, yes. So what was that sort of vision of yourself that you created before you got there? Well, I mean, during those years, I mean, I, I was what's called a closet alcoholic. I mean, I, I actually was fairly successful. Um, I mean, I was teaching at the college level then, but my life was actually spiraling, and I, I, I knew that. But I had an image of being successful scholar, successful professor, publish, all those things, and I, I never did that. I just didn't have the ability. I, so and not, not only that, I had the image of being a better person. I mean, I'm not just professional, but being a better person. And I mean, I don't, I don't think I was a great father before that either. So the whole sense of not being the person I want to be was just came to the forefront. It's like, I'm not going anywhere. I, I had started a PhD program and I had stalled. Um, you know, I just, I wasn't going anywhere with it. So I think it was just kind of a number of personal, professional things. It's like, boy, I'm just not even there. And, and, and a few months before that, I had a DUI and I, my medical license was censored. I got warned that I could be fired. And, you know, I, I kept drinking until that time. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was either that or just face loss of job, profession, all those things. Yeah. And so now, 16 years later, looking back, obviously it was a, it was a good decision, but it, it probably, like you said, you're more confident. You've achieved a lot since then. That daily courage, how has that changed your ability to achieve? I just think I have more inner strength. I think confidence plays a big role in, in achieving believing in yourself. I mean, I, I believe in the person that I am. I believe that I'm capable of doing anything I want to be or anything I want. And I, I, I just think that strength has borne out in terms of the, the patience and the hard work that it took to publish two books. Not only that, being a better father, you know, a better husband, I think those things just came to the forefront with that. You know, it, like, like I mentioned earlier, it, it's definitely a daily decision. I have to tell myself every day that I am pushing forward. And, and one thing I wanted to say is that it's all about being better tomorrow than today. And I, I know that sounds cliche, but I'm always trying to st take the next step forward. And I think that's happened ever since I came out of recovering when I started to get going. I just had that strength to keep taking those steps forward. And I, I can't explain that except to say that you just have a clarity of mind and spirit that you're like, wow, I, you know, now I can, where before I, you know, I just didn't have that. This wasn't, wasn't there at all. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things you just said is, is really pivotal in that when we think about the big, you know, if you thought in January of 2002, you know, I, I want to be an author and I want to get my PhD and I want to do this and I want to do this, and you end up thinking about the big, huge achievement, it ends up feeling too big, but if I just think about being better today than I was yesterday mm -hmm. and just taking a step, you don't have to do this for the rest of your life. You just have to do it today, and I think that's yeah. such an important message. Yeah, I agree, and I, I, I believe that, that 
the, the message that I that I would like to give people that are still struggling with alcohol or drugs is um, that you're, you're capable of recovery, but it's going to take digging down and finding some inner resilience that you probably, you, everybody has it, it's just that you haven't tapped into it. And it's kind of an undefined thing. I mean, I, I, mean, I kind of see it as three steps. One is first saying, you know, I'm not the person I want to be. And the second is, like, how are you going to act on that? Because we all have, like, well, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to, you know, get a degree, whatever it might be. But if you don't act on it, if you don't daily act on it, then, you know, it's just going to be a pipe dream. And and I, I also believe that as we go through life, life, life's a series of chapters. And as you unfold, you know, as you continue to grow, then you just, you just evolve as a person that continues to blossom and, becomes stronger and better. So, but, but those things have to be constantly, constantly restated to yourself. It has to be part of your everyday life. And I think that's what saved me, was to do that. Yeah. And this is especially relevant to people dealing with addiction and dealing with, you know, the illness of addiction, but also in changing any habit in losing weight, in, you know, quitting your job and going and getting a different one or going back to school or whatever. I mean, everything you're saying is relevant as well. So oftentimes when people change things, they, they come out of recovery or they're in recovery or they change habits, they want to lose weight, they want to, their friendships and relationships change when oh, yeah. they've, they've made that change. And that's scary too because not only are you giving up this habit or this addiction that you've been clinging to for however long, but you also now your your relationships change. Talk a little bit about the courage that was required there once you got out of that controlled environment of rehab and you were out in uh, in the real world back with your real life. Yeah, I I would say that the people that I that I was really hanging with then the party scene going out and drinking, none of those individuals were in my life months later. None, um, including somebody I was dating at the time that that she liked when I drank. And, you know, part of emerging as that new person is you have to surround yourself with people that are like-minded. And if it means you don't go back to bars for a year, then it is what it is. But um, I, I know that my, my, my whole circle completely changed. And there were people that cared about me, friends all along, that had told me, you know, and I wasn't listening to them before I decided to stop. And they stayed in my life. But they were always saying to me for several years, "You have a problem," and I just got pissed off at them. You know that that's kind of that's kind of what happened to me. And that is a scary part because you're losing a support network, even if it supported the unhealthy side. It was it was still acceptance and and all of that. That's why, unfortunately, a lot of relationships don't survive with people in recovery because the relationship had a dynamic that was based on the oftentimes the substance abuse or whatever it might be. And it just changes the dynamics of it. And you know, the other person in the relationship is willing to support that. It works. Otherwise, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Well, they have, yeah, they have to be willing to allow you to evolve and change, um, yeah. which some people aren't comfortable. Like, I like you the other way. Yeah. Did you have a mantra or some kind of just reminder during those times? Because, you know, it's at 4 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon when you're having a bad day and everything's coming in on you and you want to go have a drink, you want to go 
eat the pie or whatever it is that's going to get you back into the old habits. Did you have something you told yourself or reminded yourself, or did you have an action that you took to kind of bolster that courage 407 on a Tuesday? Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you about an experience I had, actually, um, that I almost relapsed. It was about three months after, after I got out of rehab, and I went into my, one of my favorite bars that I used to go to all the time. And I went in there thinking, well, I, I want to have the strength to do this, and that was a stupid idea, really. But I got in and sat down, and the bartender, who knew me so well, put a bottle of beer under me. And I remember every inch of my being wanted to drink that, and I even, I even grabbed it. But it was like remembering that sense, that voice, and, and just my remembering the experience I had and how bad it was. I pushed it away, got a Diet Coke, and I left. I didn't go back mm -hmm. to a bar for probably almost two years because I just couldn't. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, for, for me, for me, and, and maybe through the years, I've, I've forgotten exactly how many times I felt tempted. But uh, in the early years, I just had to avoid it altogether. Um, I just couldn't put myself in that position. If I would had a, if I had a craving somewhere, like I would go into a grocery store and I have a craving, I would just leave. You, you have to not allow yourself to be tempted, but at some point in time, there has to be that sense that whatever it is, whatever triggers that emotion, that sense of it, which for me, it's like, I just remember how low, I, I didn't give you the gory details how bad it was for me, really, but I just remember how bad that was, and I know that if I take one drink, that I'll be right back there again, and, and now I can be around people that drink beer, whatever it is. And it actually doesn't even bother, it doesn't even invoke an emotion. But that's 16 years ago now. Mm -hmm. Did you have any other support or programs or counseling or anything between getting out of treatment oh. and, because you said there was all the emotional baggage you had to yeah. kind of dig up and let out? Yeah, I went to AA meetings for about two years. But I actually needed individual therapy. So like I mentioned earlier that, all the raw emotions and things that really went way back for me, I had to deal with. So I, I went through about 60 hours of therapy in the first year after I went into recovery. And I did several times since. I've, I've actually had, I think, three times I've been in some therapy. There's also, like, I think people in my life know, my, or close to me know my story. I think there's some support there. I will say this, that People who think that they can go into recovery, like, you know, whatever, outpatient, inpatient, and then they're ready, um, it's just the beginning. I mean, it's, I, I can't even begin to tell you how horrific the depression was I had during that first few months, and how I had to cope with that. And without those support systems, I don't believe I would have made it. Well, and that's something that's been coming up a lot in, in you know, in all of these podcasts is you can't do it by yourself. You know, especially when it's as big as addiction, getting the help and getting the support and allowing people to be there for you um, can make all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what, being an accountability person, you know, I mean, AA has a good system where you have a sponsor. If you have cravings, you call that person. So I, I think in the first few months, a year, I think AA provides that kind of support for a lot of people or being NA. And there's other groups like that for people, for you know, Overeaters Anonymous, et cetera. Um, they all have the same principles that, you know, you have to do that moral inventory and you have an accountability coach, whatever it might be. Um, I think that helps until you 
start developing those inner mechanisms that are stronger and you realize that you, to some degree, have to self-modulate that. When do you think the first time was that you exhaled and felt relaxed and happy and successful? <laughs> well, I, I think when I, got, when I got out, I was amazed how clearly I thought. I mean, there was some, there was some joy that I was, like, thinking clearly. I mean, I, I realized that I was, like, walking in a fog. So there was, there was definitely some joy there. Um, I think about six months in, I remember just sitting one day, looking up at the sun and feeling and enjoying that moment where I, I don't think I did that very much. Um, probably probably six months before I really started to feel that inner joy. And then after the first year, I think it really became, I mean, I, it doesn't mean life is, is perfect. I don't have my own anxieties and those kinds of things. But um, I have a level of, I guess, contentment and peace that I, I, I would not trade now, but it took time. Yeah. Well, and that, that was sort of my, my goal in asking the question is, is it not, chipper happy and easy and like skipping down the street yay I'm sober you know it, it takes that yeah. time and that misery and uh, you know to, to get where you want to get it's not easy yeah yeah if you had to I mean and the the day-to-day -day perseverance courage has come in handy for you in the last 16 years as well um, mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about that yeah, another thing that I, I want to bring in is that I, I've had rheumatoid arthritis since I was 27, and um, which, is, which has really been, that, that's a daily thing. I mean, I've, I've had chronic pain, you know, for decades now. I, I, I think going through, and I've had a number of surgeries in the last 10 years even, I, and I've had to go, you know, through physical therapy recovery, facing the chronic pain and then having the I guess the resilience to push through that has really um, required that daily asserting myself and saying, you know, I want to get stronger. And, and despite that, I mean, this past year and a half, I, I hired a trainer, you know, athletic trainer, and I started to be I started to walk and exercise again. And so, um, you know, last summer I wa I walked an eight mile walk, and, and I haven't I haven't walked eight miles since I was probably. 21, but oh, wow. I, I think that, I mean, I mean, everything I've talked about today is just kind of like that sense I, I want to I be better, I want to be able to get there, and that's allowed me to push through the pain. You know, I want to tell myself that I'm capable of that, and, and for years I said, oh, I'm not capable of being athletic, I'm not capable of walking or exercising because I have this disability, and I had to say to myself, yeah, I'm not, I'm not disabled, I mean, I've got issues, but I'm you know, I, I can I can um, get healthier, and I've got I've got diabetes too, and and I've got that under control too now. I think that's another example of that I'd like to I wanted to share. Well, yeah, and that's that's great because you're thinking about being a victim and using that disability or that illness as an excuse, or the addiction for that matter as an excuse because it's easier is so common. So it's great to hear that you've, you've bolstered that and you've maintained hope throughout all of that. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and you have also been very successful with your career. You're a published author, you got your PhD, and, and that required a lot of, of perseverance too. I mean, I'm, 
in the middle of writing a book right now, and I've thrown in the towel about 16 times over the last two years. So it requires a lot of guts and a lot of perseverance. Yeah, I, and I mean, an example of that would be is that um, I received my PhD two years after I went into recovery. And I mean, I, mean, I, I just literally f forward through the program after that. I mean, getting a PhD and people that know that, it's not about you know, a single event, it's about every day grinding through it and grinding through the writing and it's kind of a brutal process, um, you know, getting through that and then in the aftermath of that I caught fire and it's like, well, now I'm going to publish, so I started publishing and haven't stopped since then, but that takes, a, that takes a, I guess, a desire to do that tedious hard work and say to yourself, yeah, you know, I got rejection after rejection from my papers early on. You know, oh, this isn't good enough, this isn't good enough. I was like, well, hell with that, I'm just going to keep doing it. Once upon a time, I never would have done that. I would have said, I'm not good enough. Um, so you have to just say, um, nobody's going to tell me I can't. Um, and I think that's kind of like served me well in an academic career, administrative career. You know, I'm, I'm a, a leader of my division now, and it's not always an easy job because there's, you know, you're dealing with a lot of issues, but that just takes the same kind of, I don't know if resilience is the best word, strength, resilience, um, tenacity, I guess. Mm-hmm. And belief in yourself. Yeah. Believing that you, um, and, and embracing the person that you are. I mean, I, I, that's kind of the way I look at it is I'm not perfect, and I, I used to do a lot of self-monitoring of all my flaws, but I, Maybe it's maybe age has something to do with that, but it's like I know I'm not perfect, and I, I certainly am trying to be better. But I let things roll off my shoulder where before, once upon a time, I would have you know tailspinned with oh my gosh, you know rejection and you know, criticism, etc. Mm -hmm. So, what advice would you give somebody who's grinding through the crappy daily junk and needing that tenacity and that courage? to keep going? What advice, what pearl of wisdom would you share? Um, I mean, I, I don't want it to sound simplistic, but I, I do believe that you have, to have, you, have to, you have to adopt a process and you have to stick to it. And the process is that a self-examination of the person that you want to be and the, the willingness to be courageous every day, which, um, you know, despite insecurity, despite emotions that you just say, I'm going to do this. And I mean, I mean and, and this is not easy. I mean, this is, this is hard. It's easy for me to say now after all these years, but it's really, really hard. But also realizing that change is okay. I mean, everybody's going to change through time. You're, you're going to, you're still the same person that you've always been, but you're going to change your outlook. You're going to change the way you look at life. And, you know, that's, that's the, the good product of that those that have experienced addiction or whatever kind of ha you know, toxic habit, whatever it might be, I think going back to an experience you had, like that you really realized that you really needed the help or you really needed to stop and just kind of imprinting that memory in, into your consciousness because I, you know, the experience I had with that voice, um, I never forgot that. And th that's been something that I've been able to use as a, a tool to keep keep me on track. So yeah, you know, I, I would definitely not say this is easy, folks. Um, this is a, this is a fairly this is a, the the biggest challenge of your life. But um, you just you just got to believe it'll get better.
And I, and I think that's so important. So often when people talk about self-improvement, they say, think about the future, think about how you want to be, think about all that. And that's important, but it's also remember how bad it was and how horrible you felt and why, why you're changing in the first place. The term uses the bottom, I mean, reaching your bottom as it would be or your whatever it might be. That could be something you can go back to. Yeah, remembering how bad it was. Well, Dr. Massey, it's been awesome talking to you. I think that the audience is going to feel great about some of the lessons you've learned, and hopefully they can learn from you and, and uh, be inspired to go out there and improve and be better tomorrow. Thank you, Anne, for the opportunity, and um, I, I hope it's helpful. I think it will be. Thanks so much.